Welcome to the TV show show. I'm Rob Schulte. I'm Brittany. Hi. Brittany. What? This is an incredible episode because today we have a great guest. We always have a great guest, but I agree. It's notable. Yes, this this guest helped baptize me into New York City. He's joining us remotely. Writer and editor known for Sneaker Let's Loose, Passbull and Pink, Randy, Poking a Dead Frog, and much, much more. Good friend, Mike Sachs. Hey, Mike. Hi, how are you? No, how are you? Oh, not good, but let's, ah! let's talk about TV. Yeah. Actually, I love TV. I want to know, what is your relationship to television? Uh, it used to be very close. I used to watch endless amounts of television, sometimes for 20, 24 hours straight. Oh, uh, yeah. That wow. a, are you trying to impress us? Because it's working. Well, I mean, not just TV, but I used to record off the TV early 90s to mid 90s in New Orleans and Maryland. Very odd. You know, when TV was strange, when cable was strange, I have a lot of footage of that. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with it. And mm. I have to say, quite frankly, now I'm more into uh, writing and reading and music than I am TV, but I still have a fancy for uh, interesting TV, which is what we're going to be discussing today. Speaking of today's episode, though, there goes the neighborhood. Mike, can you talk to me about this? Just like, what did you like? What's going through your mind? Like, explain yourself. Why this? <laughs> okay, well, uh, Will Harris, a friend of mine, he wrote for AV Club. He now writes for Rhino Records. Guy is a pop culture freak, and I say that in the best possible way. He knows everything about everything. He turned me on to this on Facebook. It is a failed, very much so, uh, sitcom from the early 1980s. Now, there's a ton of these type of sitcoms that uh, came and went with just one episode. And after you watch it, it's pretty clear why. I mean, what I like about yeah. this sort of thing is it's very of its time. It's, it was aired one time, April 6, 1983. It has a crew, an acting crew, um, what they call journeymen, Buddy Hackett, uh, G.W. Bailey, who is an actor. He appeared on Charlie's Angels, Chips, Darcy and Hutch, MASH, as well as... Uh, Police Academy, that's right? right? That's right, that's right. You people are the squad. D for dirtbags. When I say, hey, dirtbags, that means you. Graham Jarvis, you know, all these people um, were just like journeymen. Uh, the, the director, Dick Clement, I'm sorry, the writer was Dick Clement, who wrote a ton of stuff starting from the early 60s. And then it was directed by Dick Martin of Rowan and Martin's Laughing. So it, it's really a throwback to a different time where, you would see the same actors, you would see the same directors uh, on all these shows that sort of failed. And to me, the failures are more interesting. Oh, yeah. Most of the time. And the successes, I mean, with that said, watching this episode was torture. Um, I would much rather watch <laughs> an episode of Cheers. But the bizarreness of it and the wrongness of it uh, just couldn't escape my attention. And I thought we had to bring it to the masses. You have to. And, uh, you know, I, it's a blessing and a curse because now I know, but also I also I had to live through it. So, yeah, it's a journey. It's never leaving. I am also a journeyman. I've been through it. <laughs> Rob, do you have an episode description? Here's the thing. I searched far and wide for an episode description that really 
encompassed it or existed at all. And the, even the Wikipedia page I found did not have a good episode description. So, Mike, I was hoping you could give us an elevator pitch for this pilot. Oh, thanks for uh, shunting this one on me. Yeah, you're you're the writer. Yeah. Yeah, you're the one for the job. Well, let me say this. It's a it's a concept sitcom, which which were really big in the 60s and 70s, not so much the early 80s, which may have been uh, one of the reasons why it failed. You know, by the time they got to the 70s, uh, late 70s into the 80s, it was more about workplace or bars or classrooms or. Yeah, this does not feel like it was written at the time it was made. No, it feels very much like a. Something that was at least 15 to 20 years behind the times. I'm imagining that it had been pitched, had been sitting on shelves, as they say, uh, on executive shelves for quite a long time. How it ever got made at all is beyond me. So the idea starts off with the theme song and the lyrics are, have you heard the news what those three hobos did? Have you heard the news what those three hobos did? Named Boxcar and Barney and Herbert the Kid. You know, usually when you hear the news about three hobos, it has to do with murder or rape yeah. or yeah. something else. Not in this yeah. case. Now, there are three hobos, Boxcar Barney and Herbert the Kid. Herbert the Kid is about 45. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, that goes into, uh, is, first of all, it's one of those theme songs that explains the premise, which I love. Yeah, it's very like Beverly Hillbillies meets, uh, what, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Yeah, exactly. And I love theme songs that tell a story. So a good story. Unfortunately, this is not a good story. So we, we have the three hobos, and then it goes into the line, they made friends with a multimillionaire. I want to know how they made friends, who this multimillionaire was, <laughs> yeah. how they ended up not only living in a mansion in a rich area, but owning the mansion and the mansion next door. Yeah. So to me, the backstory is much more intriguing than three idiots who uh, somehow made a friend of a millionaire, multi-millionaire. I love that too, multi-millionaire. Not just a millionaire, yeah. multi-millionaire. He has more than one million, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, without a doubt. And he has at least three friends. But yeah, I guess the song really does sum up what this show is going to be about. Right, so these three hobos, and they are tramps, as they make clear in, in, the, in the show itself. Uh, this multi-millionaire dies. They, uh, he leaves them a house in Bel Air. They move in. And as the song points out, the neighbors are up in arms because the hobos got them good. And I have to say, I lean towards feeling like the neighbors here. I mean, if three hobos <laughs> moves into the house next door, let alone, you know, any house, let alone a uh, mansion, I'd be pretty pissed off. But that's the premise. Well, and they're roasting squirrels in the backyard. Yeah, I'd have a problem, too. Yeah, I would, too. Yeah, over a, um, a freshly uh, cooked fire. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Lord. But yeah, from the opening credits, I felt like I learned everything I needed to know. So I didn't actually watch the episode. So you guys are going to have to. Just kidding. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> we do open in one of the many sitting rooms that I would guess is in this mansion. Um, Let me say this. Um, every episode, not every, but most sitcoms that I know of, early 80s, late 70s, are always opened with a woman in a French maid's outfit dusting a table. Yeah. And it's always like the Halloween costume of a French maid's outfit. Right. No maid on earth has ever worn this. It's usually an S&M type of outfit you would only see at a sex shop. But for some reason, the early 80s, late 70s, 
um, a lot of these episodes opened up showing wealth by um, a French, ma- you know, made in a French uh, woman's maid's outfit, dusting, always dusting. Oh, man. Brittany, the butler answers the phone. Yes. And uh, he does. It's Mr. Gucci's. Gucci's! I'm sorry to disturb your nap, sir, but it's Gucci's returning your call. <laughs> he needs to talk to. Uh, Leonard Mumford. So the butler calls upon a Mr. Boxcar who's sleeping under a pile of newspapers on a couch. Now, can we explain who Mr. Boxcar is? But can can you explain who Mr. Boxcar is? It's a man who, for there's so many things, but the only thing I'm going to add, and I'll let, <laughs> I'll let you take it away, is that he intermittently, like he continuously, actively, while he's talking, goes from having his eyes crossed to not having his eyes crossed. Well, that was a comic move in the 50s and 60s. Now it would um, imply brain damage. But at the time, (laughs) it was a very Brooklyn Jewish type of thing where crossing your eyes, acting like a gimp was a funny thing. So we don't know if this hobo is mentally challenged, mentally ill or just, you know, cross-eyed. Why can't Um, it be all of the above? I was just about to say, I think it can be. It probably is demonstrated in future scenes of this episode. Well, the great thing about Buddy Hackett is uh, he was a good stand-up, a very strong presence on screen, but he had no problem breaking that fourth wall. If, if he And you notice this throughout the sitcom episode, he'll just say stuff, whether it's a repeating what he just said, what he's about to yeah. say, whether it's commenting on someone's tie, whether it's this, whether it's that. And that, to me, is interesting because it sort of keeps you on your toes as a viewer. I do like that, speaking of toes, I love that when he's on the phone with Mr. Gucci's, he needs to order like 12 dozen more socks, and he wants the toes pre-cut off of his socks. Yeah, I want to order some more socks. Oh, a couple dozen pair. Do me a favor this time. Cut all the toes off. (laughs) Just for old time's sake, I'm trying to reminisce. Right. Well, see, that's where the premise comes in for the joke writers. Is, all right, we have hobos, but they're rich hobos. What would a rich hobo order? They would, they would order crappy clothes that are prefabricated to look bad and well-worn in. So the hobos wouldn't have to go out and wear these socks out. They would have someone else uh, make them look worn in already. Charge it to my account, he says. Over and over and over. Charge it to my account. How many times did he say that? And then off the cuff, he he said, and I don't think this is in the script, I just love saying charge it to my account. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The cameras are still rolling and he he wasn't even in character. No. I don't even think he knew he was being filmed at that point. I think he was uh, cognizant of that fact. Uh, Mario, charge it to my account. Charge it to my account. I just ordered more socks. I don't need any more socks, but I love to say, charge it to my account. So, Boxcar's a little upset because it's the fourth time him and his hobo buddies are trying to throw a soiree, and no one's RSVPing to his shindig. Right. He wants to join the country club. Because like yep. that, that that would be the next possible thing. Nobody comes to your party. Why don't you join an exclusive club that costs money to be a part of and you actually have to be approved to be a part of it? And <laughs> why, <Yeah>. why not? <laughs> well, you can tell, too, that this is sort of they really wanted to squeeze in emotions. And I'm not, yeah. not going to give away the ending now, but uh, Boxcar really wants to join a club, a group. 
that he's always wanted to join. He thinks it would make him a better person. Does, is he able to do so, or is he already in a group that treats him well? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. Yeah. But the butler says, you know what? If you want to join the country club, why don't you invite the neighbors over for dinner? That'll be the next logical step in this scenario. And because don't you remember, you own their house. Yeah, just so <laughs> happens that you're right. so rich, you own their house. And you're actually the boss of the man who lives next door. It's the company that you own. He's employed there. Yeah, they really have no choice and they, they don't. really don't set it up that way to begin with. Now, when they were talking about a party, a shindig, I was thinking a party. I wasn't thinking three hobos and the, and the next door neighbors, right? <laughs> That's a different kind of party. I guess. One of the things I want to point out is the aggressiveness of the can laughter. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> see, that's something I've been noticing. My daughter now is really into Bewitched. She'll watch that all the time. And that's a very, I'm not used to the aggressive can laughter anymore. I find it very disconcerting, almost like a horror show. And within this sitcom, it's not only aggressive, but it's totally off base. Yes. I mean, it'll, it'll come in at the oddest times. I definitely have a moment of that in this next scene where they're outside cooking over the fire. If somebody wants to, yeah. to, to set the scene. Yeah. Uh, Barney is singing by this fire with a big pot in it. I think there's, the song is Big Rock Candy Mountain. Well, that's just it. I mean, did any hobo in history sing Big Rock Candy Mountain? It's just something that someone, a rich person, would read about hobos having supposedly done. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Eating mulligan stew and singing Big Rock Candy Mountain. Yeah, and just to further uh, set the scene, Boxcar's like, hey, you know, Barney, I don't understand why you're still cooking outside and living outside. We got this mansion. Don't Haven't you forgotten? Yeah. We're rich now. We got a maid. We got a butler. And, but then Barney's like, well, okay, but try this. And he, like, serves up a little <laughs> cup. And then... What? Mr. Boxcar drinks it? And he's like, that's amazing. It's just like... I'll have what he's having. Hobo stew? Yeah. Mulligan stew. And it brings him back. Yeah, I didn't know that mulligan stew was a colloquialism for like a hobo stew. So I looked it up and it turns out that this was the only stew my parents ever made growing <laughs> up. Really? What is it? Is yeah. It a cheap cut of beef or something? It's just like whatever you have, throw it in the pot type of stew. So I'm sure that with hobos that gets even worse, especially when Barney's like, it's not the same without used meat or stolen meat, borrowed meat, stolen meat. Yeah. So, but mine was always like, oh, we've had this can of corn in the uh, pantry for two years. We better throw it in with the stew. I I, I prefer borrowed meat. (laughs) That's something I said. (laughs) give it back i'll give it back eventually just not in this form so kid comes up and mind you kids a grown-ass man and there it is balding he's balding he has the horseshoe thing going on <laughs> but Box, he's a kid but he's kid he's a grown child mr boxcar asks have you been driving the limousine because and he has a chauffeur's hat on and he's kids like oh man like oh you're not mad are you and mr boxcar's like no i'm not and then kid hugs him intensely while rocking back and forth laughing. And that's when like that laugh track played. You're not mad at me, are you, Boxcar? I'm not mad. Oh, thanks. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> and it looked like a very yeah. intense moment. Like it actually looked like a little traumatic. But to be fair, I thought this was the deep sociological moment I Mike did was talking too. about. <laughs> I did too. I'm like, wow, I just got a really intense image inside of their uh, dynamic and I didn't like it. Weird boxcar fatherism. Yes, it was a lot. And there was a great line. And I mean, by great line, I mean, totally bizarre and uh, <laughs> missing every point. Clarify. Um, out of the blue, I think it's Boxcar who says, you want to talk to somebody? Go into the woods and talk to a bunny. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It's just hobo talk written by rich people. Because oh. he's also he's could just be insane. Yeah. And it's. It's very anti-hobo. I mean, you couldn't get away with that these days, right? I mean, I, you know, here's the thing. We have pretty much covered the next scene, you know, where we meet the sister of the man who left them all the money and that they kind of are a little strong armed into coming to the dinner. But Mike, Mm -hmm. you brought up a good point. Like with this not being of its time and it's anti-hobo, but like were hobos seen as fun I well, I, like it feels like a Dennis the Menace sort of thing. It's really true. The stick with the um, the bandana attached to it. I, I it just to me seems very cartoonish and almost a six year old's view of adult life, where you're free of women, you're free of your parents, you're free of any responsibility, and you can just ride the rails all day. Where in essence, hobos were like tramps and bums. I'd imagine, in that they weren't elevated. There was no sociological ladder when it came to hobo tramps and bombs. They're all basically the same. So the, these weren't American heroes, right? These weren't cowboys, no. firemen. These were just guys, alcoholics, non-functioning, who didn't have jobs, who rode the rails. It's so bizarre to me to think like, like it feels like if a kid was watching this or more likely if a kid was watching like the Andy Griffith show that has like a hobo in it, you know, that like it seems like, yeah, I could be a doctor, I could be a fireman, or if I really didn't want to do anything, I could make it as a hobo. But what I found interesting about Andy Griffith is, and even as a kid, that was the first alcoholic I'd ever seen. And it made it interesting. There's no, nothing about these hobos is of any interest to me. They're not more knowledgeable. There's only, they can only cross their eyes and say things that don't make sense. So they're really no better than my demented grandfather, really. Good I'm, Lord. I, and, you know, so the fact that they live in a mansion, that premise, that's really not enough for me. Well, the good news is the butler <laughs> comes out. And, and says, God. the neighbor agreed to come to dinner. And that's when Boxcar let the other guys know, uh, we're going to join the country club. Everyone's so thrilled. <laughs> Are they? But as Rob mentioned, they go to the, the neighbor's house, which they apparently own as well. The fancy lady's there. Uh, she's covered in velvet and feathers. And, and it's one of those funny moments where at the end of one scene, the butler's like, she said yes. And then it cuts to her. She's like, what did you say? No way. What? Dinner with those animals? I'm not going over there. So I looked her up. So Sue Ann Giffelin was her name. This is the actress's name who played the rich high society neighbor. Hortense. Hortense. <laughs> 
One of the things that interests me about these shows is like, where do these actors and writers and directors come from? And where she came from, I looked it up. She was a graduate of Wellesley and then went to the Yale School of Drama. What? What? Yeah. So this poor woman, God knows who she acted with at Yale, who later went to make it on, make it big and showbiz. She's acting in this hunk of shit <laughs> as um, I forget her character's name, but just to see and look deeply into her eyes and you just see this, this look of what has happened. Where am I? Yeah, it's like staged theater acting, too. And she, like, knows she's doing it up for the camera. Right. And it just sucks to know, like, well, this pilot's not going anywhere. I mean, this the YouTube video I'm watching this episode on has 10 likes. <laughs> like, even that is sad. Well, it's, it's true about the acting. It's almost like kabuki. Like, everything is way over the top. And it's almost like she's on stage where she has to perform to the back row. Where in television, you don't have to do that. Wow. You don't. Nobody gave her the memo. Yeah. No, you don't have to move your hands that much. I just love that she, uh, because of all the talk between hobos versus bums versus, she's like, I prefer gypsies to hobos. I love that this was a time where you could articulate a preference for that. Right. Yeah. But these guys, these writers are really old school. Now, I was looking up the writers, one of whom is named Lawrence Marks. And there's a really interesting tidbit on him on Wikipedia. It said, according to MASH creators, this is a sitcom MASH, Larry Gelbart, he and Marx teamed up in 1946 to write for Jack Parr on radio. Jack Parr was the first host of this night show. And then he moved on to writing for Bob Hope. This was in the mid-1940s for $1,200 a week, which is a tremendous amount of information. I thought, that's a fascinating tidbit. Yeah. Where did this come from? And it says, I looked down at the bottom, it said it comes from a book called And Here's a Kicker by Mike Sachs. Oh. I had totally forgot that I had uh, talked about this man, Lawrence Marks. <laughs> He's an old <laughs> comedy writer. He wrote for Danny Thomas' show. He wrote for Perry Mason. He later went on to write for MASH and a great comedy called Fish, which was a, an offshoot of Barney Miller. Wow. I did not expect it to come full circle like that, Mike. The fact that this is just, to me, this is a remnant of very old uh, showbiz. And it really is like something you would see on stage or on the first television shows in the 40s and 50s. And I think there's a good reason for that is because these writers who wrote for it were at the end of their career at this point, And they had come up in early radio and t- uh, sorry, early TV and uh, radio. Yeah. And at this point, they were just... Uh sorry for the pun grandfathered in <laughs> probably and so they were just like yeah i've got a new pilot we're trying it out and they're like okay but not that it matters it's not like if they got young fresh writers they would have come up with anything different i mean how much can you do with this premise it's an old premise it's a, it's a musty premise so hortense's husband what's his name when do we ever have this conundrum where we're like what's the man's name <laughs> it's Milton and Hortense because I thought their Hollywood name could be Milton's. Oh, I'm glad you got that covered. Thank you. He, he's like, he, he's like really trying to convince her. He's like, we have to do this. They're literally my boss. They literally own my home. We have to do oh, this. Yeah. He said, if you don't say yes, we're going to be managing a hotel in Anaheim. And then there's a beat and she's like. What time does the fun begin? You and I could end up managing a motel in Anaheim. (laughs) What time does the fun begin? 
I am so glad you brought that yes. up because me too. Me too. What? Yes. I'm wondering, like, is that a cultural reference to something that happened in 1981? <laughs> I thought they were like burning someone. You know what it is? It's it's an old comedic reference to these people who grew up in California when Disneyland was built, when it was fertile and beautiful, and then they turned into a shit show. So the people who grew up with that, uh, Anaheim to them was a quintessential, it can always be worse. <laughs> wow. The, the fact that that scene ended on that, assuming that that was the big kicker for us. Uh, talk about a joke that just falls flat for those who did not grow up in California in the 1950s or 60s. I mean, that that is a specific reference that <laughs> does not ring true and did not uh, stand the test of time. I think we're learning that this might be the ultimate show that does not pass the test of time. <laughs> Listen, guys, did I did I push too far with this? Did, did, no. Is this no. too painful for you no. guys? <laughs> nope. Learning a lot. Oh, no, no, no. We've watched ER. So Yeah, we watched ER. <laughs> the live episode. Never seen that. Oh, man. It was gripping, but not as gripping as the jacket boxcar is wearing yeah. in this next scene. We're back at Hobo Mansion. Did they, is your boxcar nicknamed the Segway guy? I mean, you are smooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but as you have learned, I forget to get to the end of scenes. <laughs> now. Okay. He's. It looks like he's just wearing a jacket inside out, a la the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. But it's actually like a velvet paisley. He's like Bonesaw. Look at me. <laughs> the other two hobos are in traditional tuxedos, so the boxcar can really pop. Yes. Yep. Well, that was meant to get a big laugh too, and uh, it didn't. I mean, I. <laughs> No. I mean, even with the fake, the, the, the guy was too lazy to even press the fake applause for that. <laughs> yeah. I think like maybe because one of them is wearing tennis shoes. I don't, I don't know, but it does kind of look like Austin Powers. Well, the pacing of this, it reminded me of, of a record moving at 16 RPMs where it's supposed to be moving at 33 and a third and just everything seems so slow and drawn out and Oh, yeah. It's like you can tell exactly when the blocking starts, when they're like, okay, we have to act polite like this, where we move into a scene where we pretend to be at a high society party. And then one of them is acting like Hortense and he's like, oh, I've got a big head and Boxcar cuts in and he's like, no, don't talk about her big head. And I got real confused because I was like, no, they're pretending he's acting like a person he's not going to be. So he wouldn't say that. Yeah, things got a little murky towards the end. Yeah. But there is a line here, Brittany, that you texted me about. Yes. <laughs> Boxcar asks the men, he said, can we be, I mean, sorry, the man and then the kid. He asked them, like, please yeah. be on our best behavior so we can get into the country club. And they're like kind of strutting their stuff, peacocking a little bit, being like, look at me, my pants are unzipped. <laughs> And then the butler comes in and I texted Rob this and this is my silver lining of the episode. <laughs> Boxcar asks the butler, "How so how do we look? We look amazing. <laughs> and the butler, perfect timing. How do we look? Words fail me, sir. Thanks. Words fail me, sir. I laughed out loud. I scared my dog. 
Some jokes do withstand the test of time. I texted Rob. <laughs> it was a lot. So there's they're like at the beginning of the dinner party. Kid is like, no, butler, you can just call me kid because I'm a grown man. And the butler is <laughs> like, your pants are open. And that's kind of introducing that next uh, turn of events. Because then yeah. the neighbors show up. And can somebody tell me about the Elizabeth Taylor? Oh, yeah. So, like, they're being overly complimentary to both of the neighbors because the hobos want to get into the country club. They want a good look. But... Hortense and Milton are trying to be, you know, uh, on their best behavior because they don't want to lose their jobs and their money. So one, the kid is complimenting Hortense and saying she looks like Elizabeth Taylor and she's making a joke about it happening all the time. Is that yeah. what we're... Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. But like, it seemed like a weird compliment. But soon after that, it goes really off the rails because we learn where they met the guy that left them all the money. The millionaire. Okay, I zoned out, so you're going to have to walk me through it. Because Mr. Boxtar tells this long story about how they met the millionaire. Yeah. At the dinner party. But I was totally like, I don't know. Okay, he says, we met him at the shore of a lake when he was cleaning up an oiled duck. And then he goes off as if there was some sort of oil spill and he was wiping the beak and quacking and talking with it and cuddling it and wiping its oil out of its eyes and he was this lovely man who was helping everything and they were like oh that's so sweet he set the duck free and he's like no we ate the duck and then the joke ends and they give a toast and then we move to dinner where we debate hobos tramps and bums but really like the joke about him did he eat the duck with the hobos I mean, sure, why not? But it's important to note that as they make the toast, Kid's pants zipper is open. And it just so happens that the train of the woman's dress gets caught. It happens Mm -hmm. all the time. You would be so surprised. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, my fly gets caught in at least seven different shirts that no one's wearing all the time. Weird. But they, yeah. but just a little detail is they're serving the hobo stew at the fancy dinner, even though yeah. they have a staff. <laughs> it's how they stay grounded. But, Mike, this is the scene you brought up earlier, like differentiating between hobos, tramps, and bums. And Right, yes. Can you go forth on this like sociological experiment or statement you think it is? Well, um, I think it comes down to this, Rob. Tramps and bums are losers. Aha. Uh-huh. They are um, not adventurers. They are not American heroes. Now, hobos, on the other hand, they ride the rails. They, they envision an American West and a freedom that tramps and bums cannot see. So hobos are a step above um, either tramps or bums. So these guys, they are out there. They're living their lives to the fullest amongst each other and doing what needs to be done, whereas others who ride the rails, be they tramps or bums, are out there for a different reason. What's that? They're out there because they're alcoholics and drug addicts. Oh, okay. You're going to spell it out for me sometime. So Boxcar slowly moves into country club talk, about as slow as a train hitting a brick wall. Hmm. Um, 
It really does to a grinding halt. <laughs> yeah. Rob, do you want to walk us through the end of that scene? Yeah, he, uh, Boxcar... Boxcar asks Hortense and Milton to put in a good word for them at the country club, and Hortense tries to get out of saying yes by saying... She's like, can't stop laughing. Yeah, she laughs, and she's like, I need to excuse myself not knowing the dress is attached to the zipper, and woo-bam, as she gets up, the entire dress falls off, revealing a smaller dress underneath. (laughs) It's called a slip. Oh, okay. She looks amazing. Beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. She immediately, she's just standing there wearing her slip, being like, "Uh, okay, um, you have to take me home now. And then we fade to commercial, Britt. We sure do. You want to go to a commercial right now? Yes. Okay. And we're back. It's the TV show show. Woo! Mike, we are on the scene that has been... At the tip of your tongue this whole episode, it's the <gasps> bird song scene. It's it- the reason why you woke up this morning. <laughs> Let's talk about that scene. Yeah. It comes out of nowhere, and um, the kid is starts to imitate birds, and I for- bird calls. I forget why. Do you remember yeah. why? Um, they are upset because they know they're not getting into the country club, and the kid is trying to lighten the mood. I see. Okay, so to bring him back to, to better days. Yes. And he opens his mouth and makes some movements like Ed the Horse would in Mr. <laughs> Ed, as if he was chewing gum or Lancelot Link would on Lancelot Link's Secret Chimp. And the uh, noises are so obviously recorded and piped in. <laughs> It's, it's like no human bird song you would ever hear. These are actual bird songs that you hear. Yeah, like recorded from the Nature Channel. And it doesn't just go on for a little bit. Yeah. It goes on for quite a while, yeah. these bird songs. It goes on for a while. For really no apparent reason. Yeah. Uh, they, they have this debate of like, was is our life better now or was it better then? And Boxcar's like, you know, Hortense hates us. That guy that tried to beat us to death on the train, he only disliked us. So there's like a, a huge change in tone in some of these jokes. And yes. then, Mike, can you remind me how the scene ends with this like quasi-touching moment? Yeah, well, it becomes a Eugene O'Neill play. It becomes a drama. Yeah. And it happens very fast. So uh, Boxcar... Uh, slips. In. I, I think Boxcar might suffer from depression. Yeah, I think uh, maybe he might be a, a bit manic, um, and he might be slipping into a depressive uh, episode here. Me too. <laughs> yeah, he he not only presents the theme, but he announces the theme, and that's another thing I love about bad writing is it, one of two things: when they announce the title of the project that they're in, yeah. or they just come right out and say, this is a theme, basically. And I wrote down what Boxcar says at this point. He says, I always wanted to be accepted. And I thought when I had money, it would finally happen. But it hasn't. And let me tell you something. It hoits. At that, <laughs> point, <laughs> at, that point, at that point, I was expecting a joke and fake applause. No. Boxcar begins to almost cry. He doesn't quite cry. 
He tears up. And his eyes are crossed. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> yeah. And he turns around cross-eyed and he walks back into the mansion. And the two friends are left out. They're stunned. I mean, they've known this guy. They've been through adventures. They've never seen anything like this. They're left out there. And it goes into not uh, canned laughter, but canned applause. But when I get into that country club, it's going to be different. Excuse me now, I'm going to get into my golf talks. It's, it's frightening. And before we get to our final scenes, I got a question for you, Mike. Do you think these guys were in Vietnam? Uh, that's a very good question. I'm actually reading an oral history of Vietnam right now. Um, I would say they, they no, they were uh, exempted from Vietnam. They might have been in the Korean War. Ooh, okay. Another I think they're too bag of worms. That was a police act, though, right? It was never officially a war, uh, but uh, I, I, my prediction was they were either in World War II or the Korean War. Wow, I was, I was way off. Okay, Britt, yeah. we're, we're at, at the, the country, country club. club. We didn't even plan that. Yeah. Boxcar is taking a tour of the country club. It's going well. He's like, wow, this is another hole. That's crazy. It's classy hole. <laughs> a lot of talk about holes for yeah. hobos. Usually when you hear about hole talk, it, it has to do with uh, another aspect. Tramps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Tramps talk Tramps. about holes. I like this little back and forth between the, uh, what, what what's the guy who's showing him around? Is that like the country club? Boss or something? What's his name? Yeah, I don't think I ever caught his name. Well, him and Boxcar, they're doing a little back and forth. It's like, are you kidding? No. Seriously? Yes. No way. <laughs> no, yeah. No, for real. I used to be in railroads. <laughs> well, that's a happy coincidence. I'm a railroad man myself. Come on. Yes. You're kidding. Really? Get out of there. I swear there isn't a thing I can't tell you about the Northern Pacific. Come on. Yes. You're kidding. Really? Get out of there. Oh. It's kind of cute. I, I like trying to. Clean. Railroads. Yeah. Vroom, vroom. Choo, choo. <laughs> and he, he's, he's oddly nice. Yes. Yeah. Like, why is he giving the tour? And why is he so nice to these guys? I think it's that yellow hat. Oh, the yellow hat box cars were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he says, oh, you know what? I'm going to sponsor you to be in the country club. So he says, why don't you just sit tight? I'm going to go get an application. Meanwhile, kid, the grown man and the other guy come up. <laughs> From police academy. <laughs> Are dressed as waiters because they were going to help him somehow? Well, even before that, you saw them giving money to the mater d. Oh, yeah. Oh. Still not sure what their end game is on this. See, I thought it was going to be a little more complicated. I thought they were giving money to the Mater D because I thought they were going, they wanted their friend to be treated well and not poorly. No, they were giving money in order to um, be allowed yeah. to put on waiter outfits and accomplish absolutely nothing. They What did they accomplish? Making a scene. By, they well, have him throw his salad up. Okay, I was going to ask why, because I was like, what? I wasn't going to rewind it because the <laughs> time is precious. But I was like, what did he throw up in the air? Like breadsticks. It looked like in tiny pieces. So I was like, fruity pebbles. Like what? Yeah. But a salad Cheerios. makes sense. A salad makes sense. Probably. But I love the fact that this is 24 minutes long and you weren't going to rewind this. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I saw the theme song. I know what I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> that, 
I love it. And not even pretending, not even saying, yeah, and I rewound it. No. no, I just, I didn't feel like yeah. doing that. And what was that that they threw up into the air? It did look like horse feed, right? It didn't look. Yeah, like- it was not real food. <laughs> but uh, as he, Boxcar tries to get the, the kid and Barney the hell out of there. And as they rush out, they run into Hortense, who's in her uh, tennis outfit, yeah. I guess. I, I almost didn't recognize her. Yeah. When people um, change their clothes, it's hard for me to follow it. I was a different person. I was Jackie Detona. It's already caught in someone's zipper. <laughs> you, we don't know what's yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Um, she runs into the head of the country club who's about to be like, hey, I'm, I'm letting Leonard Boxcar dude in here with his buddies. And she's like, you can't. He's like, oh, they have uh, your brother's money? Well, now I want them even more. I don't care if they're riffraff. We've already ruined the neighborhood. Now you want him to ruin the club as well? Money never ruined any club. I want them out. They're rich. They are riffraff. They're rich riffraff. Whoa. Right. So at that point, boom, riffraff, it brings in the final epiphany, yes. which is that Boxcar says riffraff. Uh, you're riffraff. You think I'm riffraff? Yeah, you're riffraff. And these two guys that you call riffraff, this is the only club I want to be a part of. And arm in arm, they walk together out through the country club restaurant. Now, I don't know if you noticed that, uh, having not rewound anything. (laughs) But what I noticed is, did you see that there's zero recognition about the shenanigans going on from the other diners. No one looks over. Oh, yeah. It's uh, terrible background acting. Salad is thrown. Things are said to each other in a loud voice, and the background people pay zero attention to these bums. They just go on eating their uh, salads. Horse feed. Yes. Um, the end of the episode, which I can only imagine comes back after a tremendously lengthened credit sequence, is or commercial sequence, is the Hobos and Filkins the Butler all singing Big Rock Candy Mountain, a song I heard for the first time on this television show. You didn't see it. Wait, you didn't, you didn't see it. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. Come on. Well, I did see that movie, but I forgot this song was in there. I stand corrected. There, It's like around the fire at nighttime. It's a very much a hobo sequence. But then at, there's like a little part that the butler sings. I was like, oh, he, even he's getting in on it. Oh, sheriffs have to tip their hats and the railroad bulls are blind. They can lake on a stool as a whiskey too. You can paddle all around them in a big canoe. Oh, yeah. But what I liked too was that it almost, um, the director acted as if this was an action sequence where <laughs> a lot was going on because they weren't moving. They were singing, but then the, the, the screen froze yeah. on them. <laughs> yeah. Like the ending of a chips or a, a, like a high five. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah or a Hawaii five zero or something. They win, Frank. Win. But they're not moving, so it's almost like someone jumping in front of a strobe light, but then not moving. There's no, no purpose to it. And so I have to ask, why do you guys think that this like didn't get picked up? <laughs> Well, I didn't rewind it, but I have to say it's a gigantic piece of shit from start to finish. I mean, I was never a fan of just say a sitcom like Benson or any of that crap. But you look at those sitcoms and even they have some semblance 
of acting and writing. This one is just a smattering of absolute garbage from start to finish. Would you say, can you even think of a show that's the closest to this in quality that did see the light of day more than a pilot? Like, I'm, yes. I'm trying to even gauge what was happening at the same time. Uh, the only thing that I can point out is any show that was shot in Virginia Beach, like um, Small Wonder, any of those outside L.A. or like shot in Utah sitcoms from the 80s or Canada. Um, is that like a, like a Square Pegs or something? Yeah. Well, even Square Pegs was better than this. I mean, this, this looks like it was shot in someone's basement. Yeah. Um, and everything from the beginning on up just struck me as just being totally off. And it, it did sort of remind me of um, Small Wonder. Wow. Brittany, I'd have to agree with Mike on almost all of his points on why this didn't get picked up. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So yeah. where was this in the timeline of the Beverly Hillbillies? Was nobody like, this kind of feels like almost a direct ripoff with a couple details changed? Well, Beverly uh, I mean, the, the TV show, the yeah. Beverly Hillbillies? Yeah, Hill yeah. Well, I mean, Beverly Hillbillies was on the air in the 60s, 62 oh. to the early 70s. This came on in 83. So this show came on 20 years after the premiere of the Beverly Hillbillies. This show came on when Cheers was starting to come on, the Cosby. That's it. Uh, I mean, when you look at the amount of, of solid, great TV that was starting to come out. I would think that, like, the people who helped create this like sat down and watched its pilot air and then like turned on what's the competition and cheers was on and they were just like oh shit well i was i was picturing just a vice president of a network turning it on and literally two minutes into it just saying no <laughs> and going on to the next one <laughs> it doesn't even see the light of day bye go are there any final takeaways mike well um I do think it's of its time. I think it's, you know, of the 80s, but also of an earlier time in showbiz. And um, I would not recommend it, watching it at all. I'm glad well, I did. You, why did you do that to us? What did we do? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I would say, well, I, I should backtrack. If you're willing to rewind it, then you should watch it. <laughs> If not, don't bother because there's a lot of nuances you can't pick up the first time. So true. So yeah. true. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I can't think of any other podcast in the world that would allow me to talk about uh, such a uh, product. <laughs> Mike, do you have anything uh, that you'd like to plug? I know you got a big project that you just started working on. Ooh, tell me everything. Start at the beginning. Um, what project? I don't. The Texas Chainsaw? Ah, yes. I do want to mention that. Okay. So, uh, with a friend of mine, David DuBose, who actually wrote Leprechaun 3. Oh, Which I did, not, I did not know about that. He lives in New Orleans and we're friends. Um, he is working on now a uh, make a uh, movie about John Kennedy Toole, uh, the New Orleans author who wrote Confederacy of Dunces. Oh, yeah. He bought the... Um, the rights to uh, the actor who played Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And we bought the rights to that memoir and we wrote a script, a uh, movie script. Ooh. And we are now trying to get the word out to see if any producers uh, might like it. And I think it turned out quite well. It's, it's not a horror movie. It's the making of this bizarre 1973 uh, 
horror movie that went on to gross hundreds of millions of dollars where no one saw the money except the mob who controlled the rights to it, just like they did with uh, Deep Throat. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, it's called um, Head Cheese, uh, which is a reference yeah. to, you know, um, and uh, if uh, anyone is interested, let me know. I will have my manager send it your way. Well, speaking of, how can we find you? You can find me at MikeSacks.com. You can find me on Wikipedia under Mike Sachs, or just email me, MikeBSacks at gmail.com. B is in Brian. That's my middle name. Oh, I had no idea. I've always wondered what that stood for. but Yeah, Brian. Wow. Well, Brittany, where can people find us? Oh, you can find us at the TV show show on Instagram. And if you want to talk to us on Twitter, you just use the hashtag pink jeans. It's so true. And if you want to hear more episodes of the bonus variety from us, you can head to patreon.com slash pink jeans. Brittany, that's so true. I love how you said that. Brittany. Thank you. <gasps> Brian. Our next episode, guys, our next episode. You remember how fun we had, how much fun we had with Shauna when we had Shauna and Mia on for ER? Yes. So you know what we did? What did we do? We asked Shauna to come back. Oh, Lord. Mike, you're going to love this. We uh, are watching. Yes, tell him, tell him. We're watching an episode of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Oh, wow. When did that come out? Uh, 1994, I believe, is the episode oh, Double wow. Jeopardy that we're watching. It is a time to be had. Yes. There's clones and Frank Willard's in it in the scene. It's crazy. Listen, guys, I want to apologize for making you watch this, but I, I do <laughs> want to say this. If anyone ever asks you in the future the difference between a hobo, a tramp, and a bum, you will have me to thank for that. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, y'all, I'm going to ride the rails right on out of here. Choo-choo. See you later. Bye. Bye.